So welcome to Proverbs uh, through Noahide Nations. My name is Doug Taylor. Uh, it's great to have you with us. Um, and Naomi, uh, it's great to have you here as well. Uh, I'm hoping that you're able to hear, and if you can, if you would just uh, uh, type in the little chat box there, uh, that would be great. And I saw we lost you, so hopefully you'll uh, be back in a moment. So, before I begin, uh, any questions left over from anything we've covered in our last classes, or are we ready to go on chapter 10, verse 21? Okay, so let's begin. So it's Proverbs chapter 10, verse 21, and the verse reads, The lips of the righteous feed many, and the fool, because they lack heart, they die. The lips of the righteous feed many, and the fool, because they lack heart, they die. Okay, and again, Naomi, I just want to touch base and make sure, hopefully, you're able to hear me as well. Uh, if you're having any problem, just go ahead and type uh, in the chat box. Uh, and if you have a microphone hooked up to your computer, the way this works is that you can click the microphone icon in the lower left corner. Uh, and uh, then I'll release the microphone. Only one of us can talk at a time. Uh, and then once you're done speaking, if you click that microphone icon again, that releases the microphone so someone else can speak. Or you can uh, type questions uh, in the chat box. We are in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 21. And again, the verse reads, The lips of the righteous feed many, and the fool... Because they lack heart, they die. So our process is that the first thing we want to do is ask ourselves, what are the questions that come up around this verse? What kinds of questions might we ask in order to try to understand what King Solomon is sharing with us? Any thoughts about questions that we might ask? Anybody have any ideas? Peggy, I'll release the mic. Here it is. Okay, my question is, when I was studying the book of Proverbs a while back, it said that many of these Proverbs came from Egyptian writing. And um, I was very interested in that. And they said there was some discrepancy as to whether King Solomon actually... He didn't write it. That's just a legend. That's my question. And I'd have to tell you that I do not know uh, the answer to that. My understanding is that the, uh, the book was written by King Solomon and it's been analyzed at great length by uh, the sages over the, over the years and they have you know, quite a few commentaries uh, on each verse. Um, it's possible that, uh, you know, King Solomon was certainly in contact with the Egyptians at that, as I understand it, with the Egyptians at that time. Uh, and so, um, you know, there may have been some things that they walked away with from their discussions with Solomon that came up in their historical literature that appear to be uh, similar to what King Solomon has written. But uh, based on my understanding of the uh, tradition of Torah, the book of Proverbs is 
uh, considered to be written by uh, King Solomon himself. And that's, that's the best answer I could give. I have not delved into uh, anything beyond that as far as the, uh, uh, the history of uh, the book of Proverbs itself. Only my understanding from uh, the tra tradition that it's uh, written by King Solomon. So, uh, here are a couple, couple questions that I would raise about this verse. It says, the lips of the righteous feed many. So first of all, what's it mean by the lips of the righteous? And when it says feeds the many, well, what does that mean? Does that mean literally? Or is the word feed some type of metaphor there that we need to be, uh, to be understanding? And, and if so, uh, either way, how is it that the lips of the righteous feed many? Uh, doesn't seem like that naturally follows one from the other. And then on the second half of the verse, it says, the fool, because they lack heart, they die. Well, what does it mean when it says that a fool lacks heart? And how come he dies? I mean, everybody dies. Uh, so is this a physical death? Is this a spiritual death? What is it that King Solomon is trying to uh, get at with regard to this. So let me start by clarifying that lack of lacking heart in our understanding of it means lacking thought. When we talk about heart today it's currently thought of as being about the emotions. Uh, but my understanding is that in the days when this book was written heart meant the mind. So the verse could be read, fools die, the second half, could be read, fools die for lack of wisdom. Now, the lips of the righteous, that phrase, means that he converses with other people. And then we have to ask ourselves, what type of conversation or discussion are they having if, he, if the righteous person feeds many? Well, we know from our earlier discussions that the lips of the righteous always speak wisdom. Now, the second half of the verse speaks about a fool who lacks wisdom. So, from the lips of the righteous will come wisdom. So, the people who listen to him will gain wisdom. Now, the verse doesn't tell us whether the wisdom is ideas from general discussions and you apply it to your life, or whether it deals with wisdom about you know, your particular practical problem. But either way, the listener is going to benefit. And so in that sense, the righteous feeds or supports the many. They're essentially getting food, which is their needs, met, because the righteous is going to help them in one of those two ways, either with general ideas that will benefit them, or with very specific uh, advice about a problem uh, that they that they need to deal with. So by feeds, it's talking about satisfying their needs, and he satisfies many by giving many people ideas. Now, by contrast, the fool, when he talks and gives advice, it's based on a lack of knowledge. He looks at life superficially. He doesn't look to ideas and concepts and doesn't dig into those in depth and gain clarity on them. So when he gives advice, he's not giving clear ideas. 
So many times, because of that superficiality, his advice is going to be clearly wrong. And so, people are going to make mistakes. Now, the highest form of error is death. If a person dies before their time, it shows uh, generally that something's wrong. I mean, practically, on a practical basis, you can ruin yourself. You can ruin yourself through conflicts, you can ruin yourself by making bad choices, you can ruin yourself by getting involved with the wrong people, uh, a lot of different ways. And so, if you have incorrect ideas, you're also going to have a lot of conflicts in your life. And that is going to cause you to make mistakes, and you'll have many problems. And because of that, it could reach the very highest level, which would be that it could kill you. I mean, if you take the wrong advice, it can kill you. So, we have a couple of possible subjects here. One is about rulers. I mean, there's a type of ruler who will rule with wisdom and benefit his people. Uh, and there's a leader who is superficial in his investigation and isn't guided by wisdom. And that type of leader can end up destroying his nation. So that's one possible area that this verse might be focused on. Another possibility is that we're looking from the point of view of someone who's taking advice. And the verse is addressing the question of whom you should choose to lead you. I mean, when you want to look for a leader or a teacher or, you know, someone to counsel you or whatever, assuming you have a choice, then the practical question is, well, who should you choose and how should you choose them? And in this case, the verse is telling us that you should choose a leader or a teacher who has wisdom because that person will be able to benefit you in a very practical way. By contrast, if you have an incorrect leader, then he'll harm you, because he'll give you incorrect advice, and going down an incorrect road can be very harmful. So from that standpoint, the verse is telling us how to choose a leader. Uh, and we have to stop and think about it to determine, gee, does this person I'm about to um, work with have wisdom, and can they give me advice that is correct and is going to be beneficial to me. For example, if you go to a lawyer who is good, then you generally would get good advice. But if you go to a bad lawyer, then you can get incorrect advice and likely uh, or perhaps end up in a worse situation than when you started. Uh, and this is true with lots of different areas. I mean, doctors and teachers, uh, if you choose a psychiatrist, if you have to go see a psychiatrist and choose a good one, then you'll, you should be able to get help with your situation, uh, and they'll be able to benefit you. But if you choose a bad one, you could end up worse than when you started. So, in, in this, that interpretation, the verse is teaching us how to choose a leader. Um, that the lips of the righteous will share with us ideas of wisdom and knowledge and understanding, and that will feed us, that is, it will satisfy our need, whatever that need is, for seeking out that leader. But a fool, because they lack ideas of wisdom, uh, will provide incorrect ideas that can lead us to great harm uh, and potentially, ultimately, death. So, any questions about that? Does that make sense?
Okay. I'll take no response as a, as a yes. Um, and Naomi, and uh, I assume Avram is there as well. Again, welcome aboard. Hope you're able to hear clearly. Um, and if you have questions along the way, uh, please feel free to type them in the chat box, which is right below the, uh, the dialogue that, uh, that you can see there. Okay, let's move on to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. And let me pause for just a second, because Naomi, it looks like you're typing something. Let me get started on the next verse. Okay, I lost your connection, so I'm assuming you're probably having some internet connection difficulties at this time. So, we're at Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22, and it reads, The blessing of God will make you wealthy, and it will not add sorrow with it. The blessing of God will make you wealthy, and it will not add sorrow with it. So, everyone, you know what I'm going to ask. What are the questions? When we read that verse, what questions come to mind just about this? I mean, does it make complete sense immediately? If not, what doesn't make sense? What seems odd? Uh, what might we question about that verse? The blessing of God will make you wealthy, and it will not add sorrow with it. Excellent question, Peggy. How do I get the blessing of God? Yeah, the blessing of God will make you wealthy. Well, how do we get that? And, gee, what does it mean? What's it mean to have a blessing of God? And then, then it raises the question of, well, how will it make us wealthy? Is this supposed to be taken literally, like I'll have a big bank account? Or is it something figurative? Are we talking about physical wealth or spiritual wealth or some other kind of wealth? So, good question. How do we get it? What's it mean? And uh, what's, what's, what realm is it talking about? Then there's the second half. It says it will not add sorrow with it. That's a rather odd way to word something. Uh, I mean, it seems pretty obvious that the blessing of God wouldn't add sorrow with it. So, why is King Solomon telling us this? I mean, well, the blessing of God, of course, that would be great. Uh, so, why is he saying it will not add sorrow with it? And, to take a, a step further, many of these verses deal with opposites. You know, the good do this, and the, the bad do that. Or, a good person does this, and an evil person does this. Or, the wealth... Uh, the righteous and the wicked, or the wise and the fool, it, there doesn't seem to be one here. There doesn't seem to be any opposite. Uh, and question is, is there one operating? Um, now, sometimes um, there is one and sometimes there isn't. And it could be that this is one of those verses where there is no opposite, and there's just one idea in it. However, as a first step, we could put in an opposite in order to help us with the analysis. So let's think about it this way. If a person becomes wealthy not via the blessing of God, then the verse seems to be saying that a person would have, or at least it seems to be suggesting that it's likely, that he'll have sadness with that wealth. Again, if a person becomes wealthy not through the blessing of God, 
then the verse seems to be suggesting that he'll have sadness with that. So the opposites could be, and I'm just postulating at this point, one, if you have wealth with the blessing of God, you won't have sorrow with it. Or two, if you have wealth without the blessing of God, you will have sorrow with it. So let's look at that. Let me start by suggesting this. The physical world doesn't know us. For example, if I go swim in a riptide, it will pull me under. It's not a personal thing. The riptide is not out to get personal vengeance on me. But if I swim out in it, it's going to pull me under, you know, unless God's particularly intervening in a situation, the riptide's going to pull the person under, whether it's a righteous person or a wicked person. Everybody lives within the laws of nature. So, the same thing is true with making money. In the physical world, with the interactions of people, there's a certain system, and you have to work within that system, generally, in order to gain money. And sometimes it doesn't come easy. I mean, there are a lot of problems that can come along, and a number of those problems are outside of our control. For example, you could make great plans, and you got this great business idea, and it's all set up to go, and bang, a recession comes along. You couldn't see it coming. You can't control it. The recession isn't out to get you personally. It just is. You know, it has nothing to do with you. That's, that's the situation. In certain industries, uh, last, uh, you know, about a year ago, when the stock market dropped so heavily, some industries, the business just dried up very quickly. People couldn't necessarily see that coming. And it wasn't a personal thing, it's just a factor outside of our control. Uh, and there are some other things that can come out of the blue that you can't foresee. Um, I took a uh, camera acting class once, and the woman who was teaching it was very experienced. And she also d did um, stuff in, in, the, uh, in the local media. And when you do that sort of thing, you have to go for, for uh, tryouts and auditions and whatever. And there happened to be a particular part. She went in and tried out for it. She thought she did a great job. And she didn't get the part. And later she learned that after she left the room, the director, who was doing the, the casting auditions, said something like, Wow, that woman really reminded me of my ex-wife or my ex-wife's mother, or something like that. Now, that is totally luck of the draw. That woman couldn't help the fact that she happened to remind this guy of, of a, apparently a very uncomfortable and painful relationship. And she was pretty sure from that that she didn't get the part for that reason. It had nothing to do with her acting ability. She was a great actress. She knew how to do what needed to be done. But that's one of those things out of the blue. Uh, maybe somebody doesn't get picked for a job because the hiring manager liked the other guy's tie better or something like that. There are a lot of factors in making money that can affect your outcome that have nothing to do with you. Those are the result of the laws of nature. Now at the same time, there is a thing called divine providence. And divine providence, as I understand it, means that somehow if you are under divine providence, somehow the physical world 
relates to you personally based on your relationship to God. For example, uh, if a righteous person is walking in the woods and a hungry lion is coming down the path to meet him, and God wants to protect that righteous person, then divine providence will cause a deer to cross the path of the lion, so the lion will go after the deer and it will distract the lion so the righteous person can proceed safely through. So, divine providence in that situation means you don't deserve to be harmed by that lion, so the laws of nature take into consideration who you are and act in a certain way. How that all works, I don't know. But it's my understanding that that is how it works. It's a system created by God, and somehow God causes the physical world to relate to you based on um, who you are, assuming that you're on a level to warrant divine providence. And generally speaking, I don't think you can ever really know for sure whether a situation like that was divine providence or not. Uh, because those kinds of situations, you know, like where the deer crosses the path before the lion, you can say, well, a deer came along. Well, yeah. Did that deer come along just because those laws of nature happen to have that deer come along, or because divine providence stepped in to, uh, because of the level of that righteous person? So, one generally never knows, uh, as I understand it, whether they are on the level to warrant divine providence. Some of the commentaries, or the, the, the commentaries uh, say that the blessings of God means divine providence. So here we have in the verse, the blessing of God will make you wealthy, uh, that that means divine providence. So if a person who's under divine providence goes out to do business, then he won't have all those side problems in making money that come upon everybody else, like recessions and lost shipments and that kind of thing. You won't have the normal failures that other people have. So the method of divine providence is such that the righteous person won't have any problems in getting his wealth. However, if a person operates under the regular laws of nature, he will have lots of problems, because that's just the nature of making money in the marketplace. Now, if we go back to the verse, it said the blessing of God will make you wealthy and will not add sorrow with it. So it says you won't have sadness with the wealth. So, is it possible for a person, even if he doesn't have divine providence, to have no sadness with his wealth? Well, if he's under the laws of nature, there's always a small chance, probably very small, that everything he does will be successful and everything will line up and he won't run into any problems at all. But that will probably almost never be the case because there, there are just too many factors in the laws of nature and things that we can't control that the odds are he's going to run into something somewhere along the way. I mean, most of us do. Stuff happens, you know, and we run into it. Um, I have not yet run into a person yet for whom everything always lines up. Some problems or side problems or something almost always occur. Now, note that the fact that a person doesn't run into any problems is not a proof that he has divine providence. In other words, you can't necessarily reason backwards here. But if he has divine providence and that divine providence affects how he makes a living, 
then he'll make his money without all the complications that a person usually has uh, when they do go about making money. Now, we have to be very careful about our conclusions here. Because some people, and this I think is particularly popular in certain religious realms, will look at a series of events in their lives that turn out a certain way that they think is positive, and they'll say something like, look, see how God is operating in my life or in this situation. And that can be very, very dangerous because we really love to attach our emotions to this. Uh, I'm an example that, that um, I used in the Fundamentals of uh, Torah for Non-Jews class was, let's suppose you have to get to a downtown uh, appointment at exactly 10 o'clock in a busy metropolitan area. And you're running a little bit late and you get down there and you're driving right around in front of the building where you have to be at three minutes to ten. And there is not a parking spot in sight. Every parking spot on the street is taken and the closest parking garage is like four or five blocks away and by the time you get there, get in, park the car and hurry back, you're going to be late and it is really, really important for you to be on time for this appointment. And so you circle the block one more time and right as you come around the front of the building somebody pulls out and there's a parking spot perfect in front of the building you pull in jump out of the car put some money in the parking meter and go walking through the front door of the building into your appointment right at 10 o'clock and then what is our great temptation to say oh my isn't it great how God's looking out for me? Now, in that situation, what are the facts and what are the interpretations? The fact is, in fact, there's only one fact. There's only one fact in that whole situation that we know. And that is a parking spot became available at a time when it was advantageous to me. Whether God ordered the whole universe to have that happen so that I would have that parking spot or whether I just got, you know, lucky, we don't know. And for me to assume that, oh, well, I must be on a level that God's, look how he's altering things in the world around, is a very dangerous assumption. Because then I could start construing that, you know, God's operating in a certain way and that could cause me to make mistakes. So we have to separate between the facts, here's a guy that made a lot of money, and our interpretation, oh, God must have intervened in his life and made it specifically happen for him, because we don't know whether those are the case. All we're saying is that from the verse, if you have the blessing of God, divine providence, then God can set it up so that you will, uh, you will uh, be wealthy without all the problems that you know, regular people face. Now, note that some people have to make, uh, in business, make their money by force. And by force, I don't mean, you know, beating up on people. Uh, I'm talking about they work very hard and, you know, for years and years and years, and sooner or later they are, they're financially successful. Uh, and then there are some people who think things out very carefully and have a certain amount of thought in the process and they perhaps become wealthy faster. I mean, there's sort of the brute force method and there's the work it out method um, in, in whole bunches of degrees. 
even a person that works it out through thought, that doesn't mean he has divine providence. He may be able to think about a particular deal, but he still can't control all the outside factors that can interfere. In other words, what I'm saying is you can make money through wisdom, but that doesn't mean you have divine providence. And in, in the book of Proverbs, having divine providence is a very practical thing. There is definitely a benefit to it, and the verse here is showing us a benefit. Uh, divine providence is not an all-or-nothing deal. It's, it's a matter of degrees, depends on your relationship to God, and there's a ratio between your relationship to God and God's relationship to you. Um, there are essentially three ways that God relates to us. Number one, through the laws of nature. And he created them and we all live with them. Number two, through what we just described, divine providence, which is a system where somehow the laws of nature relate directly to you. And three is a miracle, where God just steps in and suspends the laws of nature. Um, so, if, if we're looking for God through reality, um, through the physical world, then the first thing that we have to that we come across is that we have to face reality and deal with that. And as we search for reality, we find this second level where the system starts to relate to you. The Torah is there to show us what to look for when we go out to be involved in that search. But we have to be involved in uh, looking at reality and analyzing situations. Okay, I've been talking for a little bit. Does that make sense? And are there any questions? Okay, I'm going to take no for no response as a we're okay to go. So let's move on and see if we can cover one other verse. And this is a really interesting one. Not that they're not all interesting, but uh, I, I think you'll enjoy this. This is Proverbs chapter 10, verse 23. Uh, and it reads, It's like a joke for a fool to do evil acts and wisdom to the man of understanding. It's like a joke for a fool to do evil acts and wisdom to the man of understanding. Any questions about that verse? Anything strike you as odd or strange? Or maybe that doesn't make immediate sense? It's like a joke for a fool to do evil acts and wisdom to the man of understanding. anything forthcoming so here's some questions to ponder first of all why is it like a joke for a fool to do evil acts I mean it says it's like a joke for a fool to do evil acts what does what is, what is that mean and why is that the case and then the second half seems weird it's not even a complete statement it says wisdom to the man of understanding I mean it's almost like there's a word missing so what's King Solomon trying to share with us here? And what's the first half have to do with the second half? So what Rabbi Moskowitz indicated in, my, uh, uh, in his uh, exposition on this verse is that the word joke in the first half is carried over into the second half. 
King Solomon does this many times. He'll say a word that fits in both halves of the sentence, but he leaves it out of the second half, and you figure out that it's supposed to be there. So the verse reads, it's like a joke for a fool to do evil, and it's like a joke for a man of understanding to do wisdom, or wise acts, or to live wisdom. Now, that's of course going to beg the question, why is it like a joke for a man of understanding to live wisdom? I mean, that seems rather odd. So let's start by asking a different question, and that is, what does King Solomon mean by a joke? What does it mean? What, what's a joke? Many times in Proverbs, King Solomon has a word in the first part. Um, or, I'm sorry, uh, we, we covered that. Um, in the part that what we mentioned that where the first the word in the first part carries over to the second part that process is is essentially saying that the subject of the first half is like the subject of the second half in other words it's centered around this word joke so what does it mean what what's a joke a joke is something sometimes you do with a light-hearted attitude done without any serious intent or thought just a reaction to what someone else is saying. Now that raises the question of, well, what's the source of that? Where does it come from? And by joke, I'm talking about just, you know, you're having a conversation with people and you make some joke remark. I'm not talking about a planned joke like a comedian does or something like that. We're talking about just something like, like a, 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 you know, an off-the-cuff kind of thing. Any thoughts about where those might come from? Okay, Peggy, the fool enjoys causing trouble, okay? And the sensible man gets his pleasure from wisdom, okay? Okay, that's a good point. When someone makes a joke, do you have any thought as to where the joke comes from? So you're having a conversation with somebody and somebody makes a joke. Why do they do that and where is where does that stem from? Okay. His heart? Oh wait just a second, looks like you're writing something else. Okay, they're trying to be funny or have fun. Okay, good. I'll suggest that a source for the joke is that it comes somewhere from our emotions. Uh, and some people have different kinds of jokes. Uh, I mean, some will tell a joke a certain way. Some will tell, uh, say something a, a different way. We're talking about where the joke just seems to come up naturally, just as a reaction, without thought or very little thought. And since it comes without thought or very little thought, then that suggests that it comes from the emotions, because it's got to have a source. In other words, it's an unconscious or perhaps a subconscious reaction. So, we could ask, well, you, know, you mentioned people are trying to be funny uh, or to have fun. So sometimes people tell jokes to get a reaction. Uh, and that, I think, is true. But 
and, and maybe it's to get a reaction, maybe it's to get attention, but then we could ask, well, why that particular joke at that particular time? And why that particular approach? Um, I mean, some people might tell a joke with a little more dig into it, some people might tell it a little more lightly. What's causing all that? So, what I'd suggest is that there's an amount of truth that's going on here. Um, even if the person doesn't realize it, they may think that it's totally random, but if the joke is coming from their unconscious to their subconscious, then there's really some kind of truth behind it. And Peggy, you've made a great point. It bubbles up what's in their spirit. Yeah, it's something that's going on. Uh, and in fact, some, sometimes if you ask someone, did you really mean that? They say, oh, no, no, I didn't really. And consciously, in their own mind, they're rationalizing or they're thinking, that no, I didn't really mean it. But that had to come from someplace down inside them. Uh, if you've ever heard people telling jokes about another person, even a husband and wife joking about each other, sometimes you can even sense that the joke is on the surface, but it's really revealing a certain tension that's going on underneath. Sort of like, I can't tell you how I really, really feel, so I'm going to tell this joke that lightly digs at you, but it's all in fun, right? Uh-huh. Except there's some truth to it. It's something's going on that made that happen. It it's, can sometimes be a passive-aggressive way of expressing my anger or my frustration. So, I'm going to suggest that a, 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 a joke is that kind of uh, burbling up, as you've said it, uh, of what is in the person's unconscious uh, or subconscious. Now, uh, we could understand that the first part of the verse is saying that the fool uh, has an unconscious drive to do evil. So, he didn't think out what he's doing. Uh, he, I mean, he didn't think, think out and work it out that evil makes sense. He may plan evil, but he doesn't think about, uh, about evil itself as a concept. So, the drive to do evil comes from his unconscious, uh, which could be based on childhood when he followed his emotions and that groove just got dug in and dug in uh, over time. It's a little bit like a thief. You know, they start out stealing a little bit, and then they steal for a while, and then stealing becomes very automatic. But he doesn't commit murder. But if he steals long enough, then he's so far in that groove that he might go ahead and commit murder, because he's always already ingrained the following the path of thievery so long that it's natural for him. And the additional step to murder is not such a big step compared to a step from zero to murder right off the bat. Okay, so... What about the second half? Uh, the, so what we're saying in the first half is it's like a joke for a fool to do evil acts. In other words, it's almost a natural thing for him. Just like a, like a joke, you know, it's offhanded, it's natural, it just pops right up there because that's the groove that the fool has been working in for so very long. Now, that suggests an answer to the first part, but what, how would how would this work for the second part? How it, could it be a, like a joke for a man of understanding to live wisdom? Well, the way a man becomes a man of understanding, or a woman, a woman of understanding, is that he or she analyzes his framework 
and undoes the emotional framework in which they made decisions in the past. I mean, when we all start out, we all make emotional decisions. When we're children, we make emotional decisions. I mean, that's what we get when we begin. And then, at a certain point in our development, a certain age, maybe around 13, 14, somewhere in there, we have the opportunity to, to get involved in study and begin to engage in some self-reflection and can start seeing through the study uh, that the way we make decisions is incorrect. Now, if I can see uh, that, then I can begin to see that my decision-making process is flawed and if I realize that to a strong enough extent, I can start to undo my emotions and start making decisions based on my mind until a point where I'm able to undo the emotion totally. That's the process, essentially, of, uh, of Mishle, that we're working with our mind and undoing the emotions. And Peggy, let me uh, flip the microphone over to you. Okay, um, so did you have a question on that, or are we good so far? I'll assume no responses, we're good so far. Okay, good. Okay, so, um, so the process is that we undo our emotions by looking at analyzing the framework in which we make decisions. So... What does it mean that that uh, he has that his wisdom is like a joke? It it doesn't come from his unconscious; it comes from his mind, and so it seems like an odd comparison for King Solomon to make. But what Rabbi Moskowitz has suggested is that the wicked person just continues from his childhood on, acting in a certain way, and he keeps building on that. So he's building up the idea of working from his emotions. By contrast, the righteous person starts undoing that decision-making part of his mind through his mind and through analysis. And at a certain point, his emotions fall in line with uh, the ideas. And when the emotions fall in line with the ideas, then it's second nature for him to think rationally. His emotions are in line with that. His emotions desire that. And once your emotions desire that, then it becomes the simplest thing in the world. It's like a joke. It comes naturally. Just like a joke comes naturally, so the righteous person just naturally attaches to that which is rational. Now, if a righteous person does an emotional act, interestingly, uh, again, from Rabbi Moskowitz, he doesn't feel guilty like we feel guilty. We feel guilty because maybe of society or the way we were raised or something like that. The righteous person's guilt attaches to the mind. 
And he feels guilty because he did something that was irrational. So even his guilt is attached to a rational idea. So that's why it's a natural thing for him to do wisdom. Uh, he's, he's as natural at doing that, it's like a joke to him, uh, a natural thing to him, like it's natural or a joke for a fool to do evil acts. It becomes the natural way in which he operates. Whatever we do must be decided by reality. Uh, and that's why it's so important through the study of Mishlei and, and other sources to train our minds. Uh, anything that's dictated to us by Torah needs to make sense to us. Our morality and our ethics and the philosophy on which we operate need to be decided by the mind. Halacha, Torah law, is a different problem. I mean, we have to follow halacha regardless. But when it comes to things outside of halacha, we need to use our minds and analyze the situation and act in accordance with reality. So, again, to clarify, a joke is something that is a response from the emotions. So the evil person's response to everything is to do evil, while the righteous person's natural and emotional response, or while the righteous person's natural response is to do that which makes sense, to do that which is uh, rational. We're, in this case, we're not taking the term joke literally, but we're saying, uh, we're talking about what comes naturally from uh, the emotions of the individual. Okay, let me pause and see if there are any questions up to this point. Does this make sense? Okay, so one other question or thought about this verse is what's the subject? Well, the decision-making factor of the wicked is their emotions. If they use rationale, they use it as a means of uh, being successful in their planning, but their planning is for the purpose of satisfying an emotion. The decision-making factor of the righteous is rationality, and so their emotions are in line with those decisions, um, and they're in line with the rational ideas. So the subject seems to have something to do with the emotions. When a person starts out doing evil, he has a certain conflict with that, and the same is true with acting rationally. There's a certain part of us that wants to go the other way, uh, and free will uh, starts out right at the beginning of all this. The more we make decisions one way or the other, that side gets stronger and stronger until our whole personality uh, eventually can become evil or righteous. So it's we're talking about a total picture of the personality here. Um, and we're talking about the two extremes that you can go down, the totally evil path or uh, the totally righteous path. So we're defining two types of nature, one where it's naturally to be evil, one where it's natural to be righteous or rational uh, and live the life of wisdom. And we're talking about the result of the direction uh, that we go. Okay, any questions about that verse? Uh, Pamela, <laughs> I'm sorry we missed you. Yeah, we're just wrapping up. Uh, but I believe, I do send these recordings along to um, uh, Noahide Nations, and I think they are uh, making them uh, available as they get them processed out through, um, uh, 
think it's through either their website or through iTunes. So, verse we were working on was Proverbs chapter 10, verse 23. Any other questions or comments before we wrap up? Um, Peggy, I believe that there is supposed to be a, a, a class on Chesed. Uh, I know, I'm not sure if Jack has resumed that class yet because um, uh, he had had to cancel that for a while and I don't know if he's picked that up yet uh, or not. So uh, I think probably you could stay tuned for a few minutes and if he appears then it's on and if he doesn't it probably isn't back up yet. Okay, any other questions? You're very welcome, Peggy. Thank you so much. Uh, and Pamela, thank you. And if you have any questions, uh, email me at doug at thinkingdynamics.com. And otherwise, I'll hope to uh, have both of you join next week. And in the meantime, have a great week. Actually, uh, next week is... Oh, next week is Rosh Hashanah. Um... I you. I hadn't thought about whether we're going to have class that next week. Are you all available to uh, to be there for class on Rosh Hashanah? Would you like to, or would you like to skip uh, a week? What's your preference? Okay. Uh, great. Well, we'll plan to have it uh, then same time next Sunday night. In the meantime, have a great week and a happy New Year to you all. Thanks. <laughs>